Hello, and welcome to the season two premiere of Black Brew, the one and only Black queer podcast bringing you both radical political analysis and hilarious lifestyle commentary. I'm Erin. And I'm Joshua. (laughs) (laughs) And, And we're your hosts. So before we get started, I just want to remind everyone to please, please, please Follow us on Instagram. Our handle is Black Brew Podcast. And also give us a rating and review on both Spotify and Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. Whatever podcast platform you listen to us on, give us a rating and review because it would help a lot. And please share our podcast to your friends because we are trying to reach a bigger audience. So this season of Black Brew, we're wanting to have guests galore so if you're interested in coming onto our podcast please send us a dm would you want to come promote your music promote a book or a cause uh give us your own opinion on our regularly scheduled topics or something else our handle on instagram is black group podcast so just dm us we already have a few guests already lined up for season two so go ahead and reserve your spot and then if you're new here to black brew welcome Black Brew is a 30-minute podcast, give or take, depends on how we're feeling, divided into two segments. The first one is usually something about political news, current events, and the second one is more cultural lifestyle topics. Once a month, Josh and I abandon those topics to have just a very casual catch-up with one another. Since that's how it's Abandon was a strong language to use. <laughs> what? <laughs> That was just such strong vocabulary. Abandon. <laughs> We're traumatizing our podcast. <laughs> yes, we abandoned those topics once a month to have a casual catch-up because that's how the podcast started with Josh Meyer wanting to remain friends after I left the state of Alabama. So these episodes are usually going to be without topics and where we just talk shit. And that's what we're going to be doing today. So thanks for joining us for season two. Now sit back for a glass of wine. I have mine. Turn up your volume and enjoy this unfiltered episode of season two. Black. Black room. Okay, Josh, how are you doing? I haven't spoken to you since I saw you when I went back to Alabama uh, for the holidays. Well. I just want everyone to know just now that um, the importance of checking your canisters when you set them all beside each other. I may or may not have accidentally poured flour into my teacup. That was lovely. If that doesn't tell you that the state of matters for the human condition for Joshua Love, I don't know what will. But um, I might have a man soon. Oh, starting season two um, off, really? <laughs> yes. So I met this wonderful guy over the Christmas break. Mm. He's like six foot tall. He's mixed like I am. He's a fifth grade school teacher. Oh. And we are oddly very similar, but still different enough for it to be healthy. And it's interesting. It started out as a hookup, but then it became much more than a hookup. (laughs) Because we started talking. And then I was like, oh, wow. This guy's even more attractive with his personality. And I was like, oh, wow. Oh, this doesn't feel like a hookup. This suddenly feels like a date. Um, it was great. And he's just been dedicatedly texting, talking, calling me ever since. Mm. It's been about a month and a half. And he's using commentary that hints 
of him soon to claim me as his own. I can't wait. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been almost three years since I've been with a man in that way. It's been a long and arduous journey. You mean romantically? Romantic. I've certainly been with men in many other ways. But yes, we know. Not with love. We know. <laughs> okay. So that's good. That's, that's cool that he's also an educator just like you. Mm-hmm. We have the same schedule. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Uh, well, I, I, I got back home to uh, Maryland about, oh, I want to say like two days ago. I came, no, I got back Friday. Yeah, I got back Friday. No, I got back Thursday. Sorry. I got back Thursday, 12 hour drive from Alabama. Um, I have done nothing besides uh, pick up my packages that I ordered clothing because um, I ordered some stuff, some new clothing to teach in. Um, I got three new pencil skirts. Um, I got two new pair of shoes. I decided to go ahead and get the classic black gay man shoe that people wear, uh, two versions of them. Um, so what I do got, those look like? Um, well, I'll send you pictures. Let me send you pictures. Um, so yeah, I did that. And um, I, yeah, I've just been still teaching my winter term class, uh, which is going to end this week. Um, How's that been? It's been awful. Um, <laughs> yeah, I felt it would. It, it's been awful just because uh, I. It's it's very like a grade heavy class, um, and I am not a grade grading like I, I doubt any teacher likes to grade but like I I hate grading um your avoidance yeah so I mean I don't mind giving feedback on like papers but like the actual process of having to go in and put in a grade like each every assignment each discussion each you know just activity whatever I, I just I hate it all so much the class I'm teaching in the spring there are only four assignments total so um that's beautiful yeah um, so is the majority of their grades in your class's participation? For which, the one that I'm teaching in the spring? Yeah. Yeah, so we're going to be using a, uh, a tool, it's called Hypothesis, and it's like a, you know how like when you read, you annotate, it's like a collaborative annotating tool, so I don't, I think discussion mm-hmm. board posts are stupid because they're annoying to me. I think discussion board posts are stupid and I think reading response papers are stupid because I don't understand the point. I've never liked to read a book, read a chapter, read an article, and then go to the discussion board on Canvas and answer a prompt and then have to reply back to someone. I just, I don't know, it just, it's really annoying to me. It's kind of stupid. So the tool that I'm using called Hypothesis, it's a uh, collaborative annotating tool. So you can highlight little sections of the actual class readings and I'm just requiring them to like have three annotations per reading, a question, an argument, and a connection. Um, and so that's pretty easy. Um, and you can see other people's annotations. There's no prompt to answer. There's no like link requirement. Your question could literally be, I don't understand this part of the section. Your connection could be like, oh, we read about this in a different class. Your argument could be, I don't like this because I think it's X, Y, Z. I, it's just so that we can all, so I can see what, so that way when I come in the next day, I know what sections people like the most so we can have discussions and what sections they have the most trouble with. And then like their assignments, they have to, their first assignment is a 
literacy narrative. So I'm just going to have them write three pages about their experience with social media, very casual, just them writing about their experience with social media. The second one is a paper about an influencer, very short. The third one is like a design project where they design something on social media. Then like their final paper is just a research paper. And then their final exam is just like a one page reflection about the class that they took. That's literally it. That's it. Wow. So. I love that. It, it doesn't feel competitive. It doesn't feel like there's a need for, it, it, it just feels like a more organic environment to learn. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like, it, it, like literally you're taking principles that we use in preschool where it's like, we don't grade the kids. We look at their development. We look at what they're learning from what they're experiencing and where they're at in it. And we use that information neutrally, not to like shame or promote, but just like, hey, I can use this information to help you further. Yeah. Like I would be totally down to do the shit that you say because it doesn't, it doesn't feel like a task. It's just already what I would naturally be doing in my head. Yeah. And the reflection of you at the end, there's a part where they get to provide like one to two like tips or suggestions they would have for future students taking this class. So that's going to be also a part of it. I, I look, I'm not trying to, I don't, I don't have, I don't have time to be out here like assigning like 10 assignments. Assign, I, I don't, I don't have time for any of that. So but yeah, besides that, just getting ready for my job to start back. Um, and I, I told myself I was making a goal that I'm talked to Leslie about this. I wanted to <clears throat> increase my body count. So my goal is to fuck one person a month. I feel like that's pretty reasonable because like I once a week is too much. And then once every, every other week is also too much. But I feel like once a month is something that I could probably tolerate. Um, so, and that's just 12 people in one year, but also that still feels like a lot of things, but I want to, I well, want to, according to statistics, the common person doesn't have more than, what was it? Three sexual partners in their, in their lifetime. Yeah. I know. Meanwhile, I know people who are in their fifties and sixties. I know people be lying to those um, questionnaires. So, Yeah. We don't need to lie about our holding. It's natural. <laughs> Humans before, you know, the advent of the writing system and recorded history, I mean, they fucked like, oh, well, they, didn't give, they didn't give shit. Yeah. As long as it wasn't their sister. And even then, as we see in history, that didn't really matter either. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> so did you see that Blacks for Trumps was trending on Twitter today? I saw you talking about it. I didn't get to look at it. What the hell is going on? <laughs> so tr- uh, Trump had a rally in Arizona, and he, of course, had some Black people behind him in his uh, stands. The, and they the had three on, Black people. They, <laughs> <laughs> yes, and they had on T-shirts that said Blacks for Trump. So um, that, that was a conversation that was happening on Twitter today. I take that about as seriously as the gays for Trump. I'm like, um, oh, my God. <laughs> I pity them. I pity them. Okay, so I want your opinion on something. So, because I, I talked to Leslie about this. Have fuchsia. you, ha, huh? My answer is fuchsia. Shut up. Um, <laughs> have you seen the whole scandal with Juilliard and Alex Weber on TikTok? I, I was seeing a little bit about it, about uh, that person that um, Le- Leslie had commented on in the group chat yes yeah i didn't get to look at it what what, what's going on oh my god so here is the tea honey here is the tea so there is this white boy who lives in new york city 
he got famous off TikTok because he uh, is, quote, portraying, no, I shouldn't say portraying, he is uh, detailing his experience as being a struggling actor, struggling person in New York City. He got famous because his apartment is a 200 square foot apartment that does not have a bathroom inside his apartment. And so that's how he got famous. The hell? Yeah. Well, that's normal for like New York. So. What? Yes. That's, how? How was that legal to not have a restroom in, in the house? have a communal restroom in the hallway. So. Ew. So. <laughs> Josh, we went to college. But, but that's your home. Anyway. Is, it, is it a communal shower? Yes. Anyway. Oh uh, some, of the, some of the places don't even have showers. But anyway, but you know, oh my God. you know, you know, New York City is very expensive to live in. So anyway, anyway, anyway. Okay. So yeah, he like describes like, you know, how to get cheap groceries, how to like, you know, make just like he, his whole thing is like being like a struggling, a poor person in New York City. So he applied mm-hmm. to Juilliard because he wants to be an actor. And he, this TikTok that went viral was a TikTok where he read his rejection letter from Juilliard. So he got rejected uh, because he apparently, according to Juilliard, he bombed his audition. They assigned him a Shakespeare monologue, uh, which he said he was unfamiliar with, um, and then tried to do a British accent that nobody apparently liked. Um, and, <laughs> Sorry that I'm American. And so <laughs> he got rejected, like rightfully so. Like, I mean, they have like a less than 8% acceptance rate. So yeah, this is the top uh, like fine arts college in the country. Yes. Um, and I'm sure they were very like shocked about that he was not familiar familiar with Shakespeare. Like, I know that I hate Shakespeare, but to, for me, I told Leslie, I was like, it's so funny that like Alex can get away with being like, I don't know who Shakespeare is. And like y'all will like deem him like like when he says, I don't know who Shakespeare is. It's like eccentric. It's innovative. It's like new. It's chic. But when I Ooh, he said like he didn't know him at all. He said that he was unfamiliar. Unfamiliar. But when I say fuck Shakespeare, I'm suddenly keeping keeping out the classics. I don't know, you know, classic literature. I am uneducated. Anyway, here this is not even the whole story. So went viral to the point where celebrities were coming out and telling him to like pretty much like get over his, like his rejection meant nothing. His rejection meant nothing about his acting abilities, his skills. Even Charlie Puth came out and said, like, you are a talented person. Don't let this get you down. Mind you, nobody has seen this boy act except for the Juilliard um, admissions committee. (laughs) No, he has not posted any kind of acting on TikTok ever. So nobody knows what his acting is really like. So, and we can just we, now, now you know just based off Glee and coming from the University of Montevallo, we know that all these people running to New York City cannot act, and they trying to make it on Broadway, but they ain't gonna make it. So anyway, after all this happened, he people start spamming the Juilliard Instagram account, and like literally, if you go on their Instagram page, it's nothing but like justice for Axel, justice for Axel, because. They want him to be accepted. They want them. They want Juilliard to overturn their rejection letter to accept him. They got so bad to the point they Juilliard posted an in memoriam Instagram post dedicated to a black woman who was a uh, alumnus from the school who had died 
And instead of people, you know, remembering this talented Black woman, guess what his supporters did? Spam the entire In Memoriam Instagram post saying justice for Axel, accept Axel. This is outrage. And when a bunch of Black TikTok creators came out and said that this was unacceptable, these fucking people, his supporters are like, well, we're doing it to combat racism. And it's like, what? What? He's white. They had to literally turn off the comments from that post because like it, it was just it was like highly problematic uh and so he came he came out of this though with um he came he got he got he was uh interviewed by abc news his story went viral it was in new york times both digital and print copy and he got a modeling contract after all of this that's disgusting but he still feels entitled to you know be accepted into juilliard I think it's important to state that even if he got a famous performer to like promote him, famous musicians and act well, maybe maybe famous actors might have classical background. Most musicians that are famous absolutely do not. They didn't have training from the start. And when they do get training, it's very like pop performance focused. He's trying to get into Juilliard. Like, we're not talking about, like, getting on TV. We're talking, like, performing in classical acts directed by some of the best classical artists with that training. Arguably probably better with vocal control, acting acting capabilities than the people in Hollywood. So I'm just like, just because, you know, like, just because Charlie Puth says this and that, it's like, what is Charlie Puth's credentials other than being a famous uh, singer? Because literally, the public favor with music isn't always based on good quality. It's branding. So it's yeah, uh, yeah look at Ed Sheeran. Exactly. Like, it's ridiculous. If, if fucking Fergie can be a Hollywood singer. Wait a minute now. First of all. We all saw how she is live. First of all, glamorous. If you ain't got no money, take your broke ass home is a club hit, club banger. It is, but is she a good live performer? Y- you know, mm-hmm. these are two different worlds. The the issue here is white mediocrity and entitlement. And what I told Leslie, I said it's so funny. It's so funny that I could apply, like that people of color and women and queer people they applied to like some of like the most like basic programs in the country to get into college, to grad school, med school, whatever. They tried, they applied to the most basic programs, get accepted with awards, scholarships and stuff. And then they still feel like they don't belong. They did not get accepted because of, of their own merits and they have an imposter syndrome. Meanwhile, there is this white boy who applies to the most prestigious acting fine arts school in America. And then get that he got an interview with them, gets rejected, and then feels entitled to be accepted. So different, so different. It, it go like you. Not anyone can just audition at Juilliard. You know what I mean? Like it yeah. take it takes a lot to just get to that point. And most people, like who who you said, are doing the best they can. They would even have that opportunity. And I think if you got far enough where you were allowed to audition for this high prestigious college, 
And they say no. They fucking know what they're talking about. They're going to fucking say no. But there are better, there are better hills to die on. And more, more people, common people who are um, unprivileged, who struggle, who have talent, who has capability, whose stories probably deserve more like hearing to this issue than just this one guy that's like, I didn't make it in, but I'm not going to prove anything to why this is an injustice. Ooh, you got a door dash to get your food. So does every other fucker in Alabama. I mean, you don't see us whining by not getting to UA. We still have moments where we're getting like the first, like first black, whatever in Hollywood, like awards. And mm-hmm. But you know what this made me think about? And I don't know why this made me think about this. Maybe because of like, I don't know. I'm not going to say why it made me think about this because I don't want to be too explicit. But like, I, I have a question for you. Um, mm-hmm. you, do you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bleep out his name. Do you think his boyfriend is <laughs> He, he's um, interesting looking. He's common. He's very common. Not what I thought he would be dating. But um, we also know his past relationship. So it really isn't that surprising. I don't know. It, I guess. The, the energy is, would have made me feel more like he'd be seeking after someone a little more bougie looking. I mean, I, I commend him for giving us common folks time and day. But... <laughs> Wait, why are you acting like he ain't a common folk? Oh, he he is, but I'm talking. Well, his behavior makes him sometimes act like he ain't. Oh, the way he interacts online, it's like, oh, he's just so popular. Oh. And I'm like, baby, you are nobody from <laughs> just like the rest of us. <laughs> if I go up to Beyonce right now and say, "Do you know X Y Z?" she'd be like, "Is that a type of salad?" First of all, she would be like, "Why are you talking to me? Who are you? Get this man away from me." <laughs> Yes. But Beyonce, you said your daddy, uh, what was it? My daddy, Alabama. Mama. <laughs> like, you know, talk, you know how we are over here. Talking about girl. Don't uh, don't be acting foolish like an Alabama wouldn't do this. Oh my god. I would have the audacity to try to talk to Beyonce. Um <laughs> oh I would not. I would not. I would humble myself and be like at most. She can grace my presence, but for me to speak to the queen, no. I'm like, girl, that last album. <laughs> uh, what about her last album? Well, I, I mean, her last album was fine, but you know what I mean. Oh, thought you was trying to be shady. She still her her recent music hasn't been up to par like her past well, music. You know, has. We're still waiting on but her. She's name. not the only one either. Like Lady Gaga's music. We're waiting kinda, on. Yeah, we're waiting on her next album. Have you seen Katy Perry's, like, return? I was seeing something about that. Is it good? Like, it's, she's, like, I've seen a bunch of people going to, like, her, like, concerts, and it's, like, giving camp. Like, it's, like, so campy. Like, it's, like, it's returning back to, like, you know, like, when she... Teenage dream? Yeah, like, it's, like, very campy. Um, so I guess she, she did go through a really was, weird phase. Whatever she was doing before was not working because you know she had a hit in forever. So in a century. So yeah, I'm proud of her. 
it's kind of like you know a lot of those singers from that time period are kind of like going back to their roots mm-hmm. the purpose that they're rediscovering like the image and brand they had from the get-go is what they should have stuck with like taylor swift but yeah taylor swift has had hits in pop but they they've all felt disingenuine they didn't feel like there was a lot of heart in it it didn't feel relatable for her now, for her character what taylor swift songs do you feel like that um her entire pop era i like it, her pop era so are you talking about songs like blank space uh yeah Shake i up. mean that they're a little bit of bops but like i quickly forget about them as soon as they come and go i like but, i like like i first of all let, let's let, let me be very clear with the listeners i do not like taylor swift i hate her as a person i think she's an awful human being okay that being said some of her songs when i do find myself to be like in a like a slump and i'm like trying to like maybe like revitalize and re-energize myself to like do something like write a paper or read or something i will put on her pop era music because it's so like i guess like happy and like energetic and fun uh but other than that i don't i have i have not listened to her new album that came out i don't care about taylor swift i don't like taylor swift and yes this is gonna be my job this is gonna be my moment that josh had with britney spears i just don't think that she is good um, Brianna, ah. and I, Brianna and I are going to eventually write a paper about <clears throat> Taylor Swift and her uh, white feminism. So, <laughs> I I don't care for her music either. The but her last two albums, which both came out during the year, the beginning year of the COVID era, those have stuck with me, and it's. I'm glad it's not country because the country part definitely is what dissuaded me from her. But the part of her when we were younger that still had, like, there was something in her music that just kind of stuck. And when I heard Evermore and Folklore, because ba- I basically see them as the same albums. They're just a continuation of the same image, image and energy. Um, I felt like I knew, I felt like I got to know who she is because her strength is a storytelling. Not this sassy drama shit. It just felt fake. It felt like a common girl trying to be in the big leagues with these sassy bitches. And I'm just like, no, guys. This ain't it, Taylor. But with Folklore and Evermore, they felt genuine. They felt like it was from their heart. heart. It it told these very imagery-filled stories that felt, even though, like, one of her songs, or a couple of her songs are focused on telling a story of another person. But like watching these other people in these songs and how they live and what they're experiencing feels like it's just echoing her experiences prior to her fame, like her fame era. And I'm just like, this is it. Like if she sticks with this energy, I'd listen to her more because it, it has more meaning to it than shake it off, shake it off. But like I can't, <laughs> can't stand it. Okay, this is so unrelated. annoying. This is unrelated to Taylor Swift. But um, so our abolitionist reading group, Josh, mm-hmm. I don't know how far you are, but I last night I got done reading chapter one. Um, I read it all in one day, not in one sitting. I read like half of it in the morning and half of it late at night. And when I tell you, I started crying when I was reading it. Like I started crying because I was literally just thinking about like, like uh the death penalty and like 
all of these like black like young men who have like been killed, who have like lost their mm-hmm. lives, like prisons. I don't know. I just I was just like so upset. <laughs> I I don't like. I was just like I was a mess. I was crying. I was like, oh my god, this is awful. So the level of injustice done to our community is unfathomable. And these white folks want us to walk around and act like nothing ever happened. And it's just, it's a disgrace. It's an absolute disgrace and disrespect to the many, the numerous lives taken because of the police state in our country and the allowance of racism to be its bedrock and driving force. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm in the same place you, I've, I stopped at chapter one, because chapter one, like, I mean, it, the first chapter alone, with the way the author writes, the her voice, chapter one, yes, like, it's captivating, it makes me want to read more, but it's intense, and I'm just like, yeah. I've got to read this very slowly, yeah, <laughs> so I'm not overwhelmed with, <laughs> The need to socially uproot everything. When we have our like first like meeting like next week, I have a lot to say because she wrote about some shit in that book that made me like look back and question like my own like education like in like middle school, high school in terms of like uh, magnet schools and like school resource officers. And I thought Mm -hmm. I did a deep reflection, and I was like, "Girl, you mean?" I was like, "I told Les, I said I knew white supremacy." was like systemic but i did not know white supremacy was so strategic that they had me believe that i was actually going to a magnet school where i had to apply to think that i got into this great program but it was really just a mechanism and a defense to combat white flight in these racist ass neighborhoods to stop white parents from sending their children to private mm-hmm. uh schools and i was like so the magnet school meant nothing it meant nothing <laughs> you know like in when I was younger in high school I remember people talking about magnet school and even in my wide ass county there was a lot of negativity about them I didn't fully understand it I knew it had something to do with like it and I, I don't think I remember um you remember um Pope mm-hmm. um I remember because she went to a magnet school in Montgomery. The Gump. She was telling me, yeah, in the Gump. And she was telling me about it our freshman year, and like how awful it is because like it's structured to look like it's bougie, but the reality it's piss piss poor education being like almost equivalent to private school when in reality it was shit. And reading about the more racial undertones of it like it's a terrible option but like, I'm, I'm not i'm never I'm in a magnet school yeah the book we're reading that we're talking about for the people listening um it's called uh becoming abolitionist uh police protest in the pursuit of freedom by derica for now it's a good book if you want to like read a book um this year so um, we have a large group of friends that are reading it together collectively mm-hmm. to help further our understanding of what is police abolitionism and 
how to implement it, how how the effects of the justice system and judiciary system have affected us in large and systemic ways. It's very eye-opening. The first chapter alone. <laughs> the first chapter alone. Yeah. I'm ready for the second one now. I am too. I have to stop myself. Like, Aaron, do not start. Do not get ahead. Follow the schedule. The schedule's there for a reason. So you don't get burnt out. So um, yeah. I'm gonna have to review some some of the major points in the first chapter because it's been a moment. Um, just so I, I could have something to talk about. I just I specifically remember my emotional reaction. And I think I commented in the group about like I was like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. This first chapter. Hopefully she keeps that same energy throughout the whole book. <laughs> I do too. Um, yeah. Where's Leslie? Uh, probably asleep. Uh, I thought they were going to like. And I know they said they weren't feeling. <laughs> when I was on the phone before we got on the call, they said they weren't feeling well. Oh. I hope they're doing okay. There was something else I needed to tell you. Oh, oh! oh <clears throat> we should end this podcast by talking about motherfucking Donovan Cleckley. We should end this oh. podcast. Did you, girl, girl, did you hear? What happened? Did you see? Oh, you don't know. You don't know. Let, let me inform you and the people who listen to us um, so that y'all can go and report his account and report his Twitter growth. So I'm in my bed last night, you know, on the phone with Leslie, as I do. Um, and I get a message from my friend. And it's a tweet from from um, Montevallo, who is dating, uh, I think, um, you know them. Um, yes. He says, Jesus fucking Christ. Y'all remember Donovan Clackley? He just made a 25-tweet-long thread likening trans people, their supporters and doctors, to Nazis. Scum of the fucking earth. I truly, genuinely hope he fails in all his endeavors and is perpetually miserable. So I, and then I tweeted, of course, after I went through and read that 25-tweet thread um, and reported the tweets, I said, can Montevallo revoke Donovan Clackley's degree, please? I'm so tired of his transphobic turf takes. Please take his, take away his degree. So, if we go to Donovan Cleckley's pile, um, and yes, Donovan Cleckley used to go to the University of Montevallo. He graduated with a degree in English and interdisciplinary studies. Um, and he is a turp. He is a turp. He is a trans-exclusionary radical feminist of the people listening. Um, he, as far as I know, I don't know if he still attends, but he was current, he was at the time in a graduate program and his master's degree in English at Tulane University. Um, so the tweets that he's here they are. Here's a Twitter thread. Um, just so we know, uh, obviously, content Twitter warning what I'm about to read contains transphobic content. So if you're not okay with that, then you should probably stop listening. So, do you know who uh, Janice Raymond is? It sounds familiar. So Janice Raymond, she is a, quote, academic, and I say quote because I think she's illegitimate because she's transphobic, but she wrote this, like, quote, groundbreaking, end quote, book called The Transsexual Empire, The Making of the She-Male, and it was pretty much- Oh, my God. It's as bad as you think it is. It was pretty much this book where she was talking about how 
trans people are like violating their misogynistic because their act of like becoming women is like and an act raping the female body because they're like you know taking over they're colonizing they're like the men are taking over women's bodies to gain more like patriarchal power stuff like that so she wrote this book so she is like you know like the turf founder so there's this book that she wrote right it's called um uh it's called what is it called it's called book is called Double Think, A Feminist Challenge to Transgenderism. Oh my God, the, the verbiage. Uh, exactly. Oh my God. So there is this tweet, there is this person who is a volunteer researcher at the Trans Safety Network. Um, and it is like a grassroots research like place in the UK. And she was talking about how the book, Double Think by Janice Raymond, is a book that defends, she's tweeted, says, Raymond's book defends a neo-Nazi conspiracy theory text claiming that trans people are part of a 400-year Jewish plot. Donovan Kleckman, no. um, where he pretty much went through, and he says, in Double Think, Raymond discusses Amazon's censorship censorship of books, including Scott Howard's Transgender Industrial Complex, in which Howard scapegoats Jewish people and homosexual people. He also blames feminism and lesbianism, further showing his misogyny and homophobia. And then he goes through and adds his little, like, you know, he puts turf in quotation marks because he doesn't think that turf is real. Um, he's a, you know, gender critical feminist, not a turf, um, <laughs> whatever that means. And uh, let me get to the part that is that is the most like crazy. Um, he says, like transgender rights activists, Howard, listen to this. Donovan says, like transgender right activists, Howard, the author, opposes homosexuality, except in favor of gender conforming heterosexual people rather than gender non-conforming ones, and supports the further institution institutionalization of sex role stereotyping. I just really feel like Donovan has never talked to a trans person a day in his life. Oh, oh, we're not even done. He says, but Raymond does seem aware of Howard's arguments writing, searching on Amazon for these three books. I couldn't find the transgender industrial complex, but I was able to find Adolf Hitler's Mein Kampf. Think about it. Amazon is pro-Nazi and pro-trans. That's a fallacious way of thinking. Just because A group thinks X, Y, C, Z about two separate things, then they must be related. Anti-Semitism and racism seem uh, seem taken seriously among progressives only if it only if one believes that heterosexual males can be lesbians and heterosexual females can be gay men. Otherwise, it seems that anti-Semitic and racist propaganda is fine as long as it is not anti-trans. That is stupid. That is absolutely stupid. I have... I have yet to meet a trans person who supports Nazis. Met plenty of white gay men, but I have yet to meet a trans person. 
And then his final, one of his final comments, he says, uh, he uh, has a picture of a book called Misogyny Reloaded. All said and done, one should wonder just why Hitler's Mein Kampf has been allowed on Amazon while, quote, anti-trans work has been, has been disallowed. Maybe Amazon has dedicated itself to the Della Alexanders now using trans feminism as camouflage for misogyny reloaded. No other, someone who's... no other social movement in history except the trans rights movement has consisted of so many narcissistic white males feeling empowered to distort reality and spread lie after lie about women and lesbians to occupy their lives. Misogyny defines the, move, the movement's identity. Why has transgender right activism been so populated with white heterosexual males those who have asserted themselves as women and lesbians pretending they care about racial and ethnic minorities and working class. They have made us all into things for them to use. So what's the, what's the rebuttal about like people of color who are trans? Or gay trans people. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. It there is so many holes in this argument. Like, there there's is. an industrial complex. Why, why are transgender people like a minority if there's an industrial complex? Uh, I don't if know. If this is one of the major, like, if this was one of the major angles of the patriarchy, they certainly wouldn't be oppressed and they certainly wouldn't be at such low numbers. You know, like, this is, there, there's some, it's like, just, logical it, points. It's just so crazy how he will, like, say that all of this stuff comes from like, like he says, like, and the people who think that I'm racist, like I cite black feminists. And I'm like, you understand that black feminists are out here fighting for black trans women, right? So how can you sit here and be, I, listen, I knew the day that we, I was in class in a post-colonial literature class at Montevallo English department. And we were talking about a book written by <clears throat> now professed transphobe Chimamanda Nozi Adichie. And he had the audacity to open his mouth and say that Laverne Cox had male privilege and said that trans women have male privilege and they need, they need to acknowledge and recognize that. That was the thing that I knew. I said, you're transphobic. You're transphobic and you're trying to hide it behind feminism. That was the day I knew that, that that was it. And of course, this happened literally, you know, the semester after he went on a social media tirade harassing me and slandering me, mm -hmm. calling me a KKK sympathizer. So the people who don't know about that. When he says things like this, it's it's kind of like a white man, a white person having the audacity to come to me and be like, Joshua, because you're 50% white you have white privilege because you have lighter skin you have white privilege it's like completely it's like completely ignoring nuances of experience like yeah trans people had to live as their assigned birth gender for x amount of years of their life and yeah on the surface it may appear to be a form of privilege but when you look at the root of it when you take you know the top of the lid off the damn bowl you still have to see what's actually inside, which is turmoil, heartache, pain, living a false life, feeling caged, like the act of having to, but like, for example. That, so he, 
I don't know why he supports this idea and this narrative that like, which is so ironic because Chimamanda got famous from her A Danger of a Single Story. It's literally every fucking high school college professor provides to their students to watch her TED Talk, A Danger of a Single Story, which is so funny that Chimamanda promotes this single story of trans people and the fact that she thinks that every trans person is like Caitlyn Jenner and transitions like that late in life, while not acknowledging the fact that there are literally children, children, who transition and go through puberty and their teen years as their like gender that like they were not assigned at birth, like their actual, you know, gender. So this whole idea that people are transitioning, like they spend, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years as a male and they have so much male privilege. It's like, no, these people literally grew up as like their gender. Like there are people transitioning literally at like age, like 10. So like, what are you talking about? They literally grew up in their life as like trans women and trans men. So what are you talking about? You're uneducated, like, you're stupid. And like looking at like the action of transitioning later as a means of gaining privilege is stupid. Like, no, we should quantify the action of having to like transition later as a form of oppression. Yeah, they they were without choice to live life, expressing, being, and identifying exactly the way they felt their whole life. That like what? It was just it's a no different. That they, like that they no really think that that trans women are oppressing cis women. It's so astound. Like it is. It is insane. That's like saying I, that's like saying I have straight man, straight cis man privilege because I had to pretend to be straight until the age of eighteen. That's the same argument. It's stupid. It is stupid. stupid. Yeah. It's well, backwards and circular. I want the University of Montevallo's English department to disavow him and revoke his degree. Like I truly wonder, like, do do they see these things and do they care? Because like this is like a like. Loki a reflection of them. Like y'all awarded him this degree. Y'all taught him. Y'all ain't saying nothing. Do you support your trans students? Like I don't understand. Has like, anyone sent them like emails with like snapshots, uh, like you know, screenshots of his Twitter comments? No, but I also like in all honesty, I don't think any of them would actually respond. Like in all honesty, like I I can't name you probably a, know how to react to it. I cannot name a single English professor in that department who would actually come out and like disavow his comments for whatever, maybe like department po- politic, like department political reason or whatever, mm-hmm. like, I don't know. I don't know a single person who would come up like, you know what, this is wrong. And I, I taught this person, but I, I do not support what, you know, he is saying. I don't know, I don't know a single person, but also Montevallo yeah. is a shitty school. So there you have it. I bet if Dr. was still there, she'd have something to say. And, you know, Josh, it's time to come to the end of our podcast episode. Um, because we, what? <laughs> we, we've gone over the way you transitioned. The way you transitioned sounded like that was a problematic topic. <laughs> I did not say that she was, I said, I can't think of a single. So that means I don't think, I don't think, I don't think. Actually, let me take that back. I know one person who might say something, but I don't know if she would say it out loud. Like, I think. Because she was probably the most like trans affirming professor that I had. Um, uh, was it the woman that was on Safe Zone with us? 
Uh, no, because you know what? The class that I was in where Donovan said that shit about Laverne Cox having male privilege was teaching that class. And all respond. She said, um, she pretty much told him that he had spoken enough and that he should give other people like time to talk. Um, took a neutral stance so she didn't have to call him out on the problem. Well, you know how, you know how we, us college professors, we can't really, you know, sometimes strike down, you know. An argument. Yeah, like that. Like, I can't, like, I can try and diffuse the situation, like, as a college instructor, but, like, um, unless you really, like, have tenure, which I don't think she had tenure at the time, like, you really should not be getting into, like, arguments and, like, shutting a student down. Even if you have tenure, I don't think you should be shutting a student down. Granted, there was a better way she could have found that, where she could have... Like, a well-structured rebuttal? And educated him why his argument was, like, not a like sound and valid argument but anyway anyway and we can we can talk about this on you know future episodes maybe we invite some guests Absolutely. to come on so i'm sure leslie has a lot <laughs> <laughs> i can't wait to hear what leslie has so, to say thanks for listening everyone um we'll see you next week on our next episode um and yeah enjoy your week thanks for listening follow us on blackfoot podcast goodbye bye